Father, we just thank you. And Father, as I just pray that, Father, you would speak through me tonight and that your servant uh, would be faithful to you in all that you say and, and show me. Father, I pray that we all have ears to hear, including me. So Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we thank you. And we pray that the word would go out and would change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the ways you can always know whether you heard a good word or not is <clears throat> that at the end, it has given you the opportunity to make a decision about what you heard. And the decision about what you heard, not only do you make up your mind or make a decision upon that word, but you act upon the word. And so this book that Paul wrote to the Romans is, I believe, the most important book in the Bible. Not because the length of it, not because who it was written to, but the content. And the content is our bedrock. It is our chief cornerstone. It is the, it is the reason we believe the way we believe. So Paul sets out a systematic letter to the Romans. And when I mean systematic, you ask, well, what does that mean? It's systematic in a way that the first three chapters deal with man and the enormous amount of sin that man has been involved in. And so he writes out that the wrath of God is going to be poured out because of the sin of man. So these first three chapters deal with not only the, the, those under the law, but those who are not under the law. Those who are going to be judged by the law, those who are going to be not judged by the law because they are in fact the law to themselves. So then <clears throat> that starts at verse 18 in chapter 1 and goes all the way to chapter or verse 20 in chapter 3. So we have this, this writing that Paul is, is giving to the Romans concerning man's problem. So in verse 20 uh, of the third chapter, if you can put that on the screen, I think it's verse 21. It says, but now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Now the next scripture. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. So Paul breaks in the last part of chapter 3 that he says, Now outside of the law, without the law, there's been a new revelation or a new standard that has been given to us. And that standard begins in chapter 4 with an Old Testament personality man named Abraham. Now Abraham was called out in chapter 12 of Genesis and it goes for about 13, 14 chapters in Genesis and gives you a really a good 
um, history of who Abraham was, what kind of man he was. And so we pick up the story in the first verse in chapter 4. So it says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefathers, discovered in this matter? In other words, in the matter of what, what, did, what was Abraham, what was going on in, his, in this matter? What was he thinking? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. So boasting in your works are not going to get you anywhere with God. Because Abraham, from what I've understood and what I've read about Abraham, he was one of the most righteous men living at the time. So when God called him out of the land of earth to go to the promised land, he said, okay. He said, okay, I'll do that. So all, so Paul has given us a picture of what kind of man Abraham was. So we'll know that when we read that verse, that the, that the law and the prophets testify of this new message this new covenant that's coming down from God to mankind. And it's not only for the Jews, but it's for us. So we have to look at how Abraham looked at this because he was given a promise. Now, can I'm going to go to Genesis 15, and if you, you, you put that on the screen, um, and um, so... Let me just read real briefly. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. By the way, I'll just give you a little thing. Abram means exalted father. When his name was changed to Abraham, it meant father of a multitude. So his name changed to better describe the kind of man he's going to be. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estates is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So right away, Abraham's looking at it from a, from a human side. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir. But a son coming through your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offsprings be. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted, or it was imputed, or it was credited for him for righteousness. Now, what does that mean? That word imputed or credited can be a legal term, can also be an accounting term. So it was credited to his account. So Abraham is getting a promise back in Genesis, and I'm not quite sure on the years, but I think Abraham lived pretty much 2,500 years before Christ. So probably six, 650 years before Moses. So there was no law. There was no law that he could you know, say, well, I'm 
you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Jew and I, I follow the law. No, there was no law. So now we go back to Romans and we begin reading. Now it's going to make more sense. But, but of works, you can't brag that before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So we read in Genesis the very same thing. This man, Abraham, was a man of faith. So now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, when we believe in Christ, and that means that we've, we believe it's a done deal. The, the translation that he was justified, it's, it's an aorist past tense. In other words, it's something that has happened. It's a done deal. So the moment any person says, I want what you have for me, Christ, I do want to be justified. I want my sins forgiven. I want to walk with you. I want to believe in you. I want to, I want to follow you. It's not a month-long thing that takes place. It's instant. The moment that we say yes to Christ is the moment that we're justified. Now, the big question throughout history, well, how is a man right with God? How, how do I lay my head on the pillow knowing that I don't have, you know, strings all around me tugging at me this way and that way. How do I know? How do I know that I'm good with God, that, that I'm justified, that my name, he knows my name? One of the things that happened under, during the Reformation back in the 1500s is that there, were, there was all kinds of factions that spread out. Over the next 500 years, there was hundreds and hundreds of denominations, and many of those denominations wanted to include faith, but they also wanted to include works. And because when I got saved in a denomination, if you were busy, if you looked like you had it together and you walked fast and you talked fast and you knew where the scriptures were, you were elevated by your works. And I mean to tell you, I could run circles around most of the people in our church. So I was elevated right away thinking that I was spiritual and I loved the attention. But then as I matured and I began reading the scriptures that Ephesians 2 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is the part that I couldn't get through lest any man boast. Because I, was, I, was, I wasn't boasting maybe out loud, but I was boasting in the way I performed. So right away, I thought I was kind of a cool-looking Christian, you know, because I was doing it all. But then we start reading on. It says, in this blessedness, only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised, we have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. See, it was his 
faith in God. Now, he didn't, he didn't know any of the scriptures concerning the coming of Christ. He didn't have the law before him. He didn't have the prophets. So how, how did Abraham get this? Because God spoke to him in this dream. So he just, he just said, okay, I believe. So as we go on, and he received the sign of circumcision and his seal. But get this. When the promise was given to Abraham, he was about 99 years old. The child didn't come for 14 years later. So during that time, he, the Bible says he didn't waver, but you and I both know that, you know, he wavered a little bit telling Pharaoh that, you know, his wife was his half-sister, which was half true, 100% lie. And then he also told Abimelech that, same same story, and he also had a you know a, a relation with Hagar, which gave him a son, which when when his son Isaac was born, his son Ishmael was already thirteen or fourteen years old. So during this waiting time, I think at times he wondered. But you see, this is what's so good about God. When we waver, we're still in the grace and justified. We don't get unjustified. We don't, we don't walk away and all of a sudden God says, well, you know, I'm going to cancel you out. No. Once God has given us his gift of the Holy Spirit, that's the seal Ephesians tells us that's the seal he gives us to know that we're his. So Abraham, through all of this, he realizes that God can and will give him a son. So at that moment in time, when I think he was nearing 99 years old, he reiterated the promise to Isaac, no, you and Sarah are going to bear a son. Well, remember Sarah giggled or laughed? I think, I, I think Abraham did as well. <laughs> but the promise came true. Now just, <clears throat> here's a little tidbit. This is free. When you get to the end of chapter 15 in Genesis, God gives Abraham the boundaries of the land that he's going to possess. Well, we know that at this time, Israel does not possess that land. But if you read Ezekiel uh, 38, 39, you know that there's going to be a war, and God is not going to allow anybody to come into the aid of Israel. He says, I'm not going to allow anybody to come to their aid. I will be their aid. I will destroy their enemies. And so I think at that point, either then or during the millennium, whenever, during the tribulation, but they will possess that land just the same way he told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. See, we don't understand that when, when God gives us a promise in the future, it's in his eyes, it's done. So when he says he's going to take us home one day, well, for us, it hasn't happened yet, so we're still looking for that to happen. But with God, it's, it's, a, it's a done deal. It's sealed. 
So that's why it's so important to understand the book of Romans because in the book of Romans, that first chapter gives, the, gives how, how man needs desperately a savior. And so when we get to chapter four about Abraham and then five, what are the results of this faith? We get to chapter six and knowing that sin has taken man and this new relationship with God allows those chains of sin to be broken. In chapter 7, we know that the law also can be broken because now the new covenant, they now have a relationship with Christ. And then all of that comes to head in chapter 8 by starting out, there's there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul lays out in these first eight chapters the very bedrock of what we are in Christ. Now, obviously, Abraham didn't address uh, Elohim as Jesus because he, Jesus hadn't been revealed to him. But to us... And to the Apostle Paul, he's been revealed. So now we're going we're gonna to move down, and we're going to go to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, the first, <laughs> the first verse, or the first two verses, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of this glory of God. That is a sentence full. <laughs> that is a sentence full, because in that, several things we see. We see a word justified. We see a word faith. We see a word peace. We see a word access. We see a word grace. We see a word glory of God. So I would like to just briefly give you a little quick definition of justification or justified. That, that word justified, justification, it's a root word that means a read an R-E-E-D, and it's, well, you know the plumb line was to measure the vertical uh, correctness of, of a building or a wall, and they call that the plumb line, but the reed, it measured the horizontal line, and so what, that's where this root word comes from, being justified or just, being righteous or righteousness, so if you will put... Um, Faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 up for me. <laughs> My eyes are not, okay. Now, faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So in other words, faith, when we receive Christ, none of us that I know of have actually seen Christ. It's called a Christophany if you have, but but I, I don't think any of us have actually seen Christ. But how did he make himself real to us that we could see him? How did he make himself 
available? Was it through the word? What someone told you? But what did you have to exercise in order to be a part of that kingdom? Faith. And see, faith in Christ, I didn't understand the word faith. I knew that I wanted him, and I knew that I needed him, but I didn't really know uh, faith, because I didn't know two words of the Bible when I got saved, but I did know this, that I, I needed something, because where my life was going was was. It was going downhill. It wasn't producing anything that I was proud of. And that was one of the reasons I got caught up in works rather than faith. Because I didn't understand that faith was the vehicle God wanted me to get on so that through faith I could begin to understand who he was. Now, when we look at Ephesians, the next verse after the one I read earlier on 2.8, you go to 2.9, he says that God ordained for us good works. In other words, when he ordained those good works for us, when, we're, when we, by faith, are born again and we begin to understand what it is to walk with Christ, he begins to produce in us a desire to do the very things he's ordained us to do. So I'm, I'm of the opinion that because we get caught up in doing for the Lord, sometimes we can't tell the difference between Works and faith. So I want to give you another, um, if you'll come up with John 14, 27. It says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So this peace that God wants to give us is not the same peace that the world gives. A lot of times when we think of peace, we think of a, 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 a time of war. And so there's a peace treaty or a ceasefire or whatever. So, you know, we lay the guns down, but this peace is different. This is an inward peace and we can measure and it's a good barometer to find out where you are in Christ because when something comes up unexpectedly and it robs you of your peace, you got to ask yourself, am I walking in the power that God has given me? Because no, we should not have to deviate from the peace that God has promised us. We should be able to walk in that at all times. Now, so there's this word peace. How about access? Hebrews 4:16. Let 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. So access. Now you know in the Old Testament during the before Christ that the priest went into the holies of holies once a year and offered up a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But see, through Christ, we have access into the holies of holies. We're allowed to approach the throne room of the Most High God 24-7. So we don't have to have anyone represent us. We can go ourselves. So, so grace, Ephesians 2.8, I already said, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. So we're saved by grace. So the glory of God. Now, it ends here. It says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I, didn't e I skipped over this. I didn't even realize it was in there until I looked at it close closely. Did you know that the glory of God is what he wants us finally to have. That's, that's going to be the end result, is that we're going to be in the glory of God. We're going to be, as Paul said in Ephesians, we're going to be in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. So when we look at the holiness of God, he gives that to us. We're going to have that. In other words, he tells us that we will be like him. We will, we, will, we will be wearing the same glorified bodies that he has. So as we move along in chapter 5, I'm going to start right here. It says, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we certainly will be united with him in his resurrections. For we know, whoops, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not only so, but we also rejoice in, in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Now, how do we, how do we rejoice in, in suffering? If you'll go to James, uh, first, first James 2, 3, and 4. Consider it pure joy, excuse me, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So suffering, when, when we suffer, we're supposed to rejoice. How does that work? How does suffering, how do we rejoice in our sufferings? Because it produces in us perseverance. And then the perseverance produces character. And then character produces hope because hope doesn't, it doesn't disappoint us. So when we're facing a trial, okay, Lord, I'm in this trial. I've got this or that. Whatever the circumstances are, the circumstances do not change our relationship with God. They don't. Because we're always going to have circumstances until he takes us home, no matter what they are. We're going to need the grace of God 
to walk this out. There, you know, I was listening to a testimony where a wife had to take care of her husband. And he was, you know, wheelchaired, invalid. And not only that, but he needed a lot of care. And he had to be moved around in the bed and da-da-da-da-da. It, it was tough. It was hard. And so she was asked, you know, how do, how do you do that day in and day out? And she says, just God gives me the grace to do it. So not only does grace save us, but also grace sustains us. When we stand, it says in the scriptures, we stand in grace. So you can't, you, you can't go after it. You can't grab it. You, you can't buy it. You can't, you can't do it. You just, just have to receive it. Because the reason that God gives us the grace is because he knows there's nothing we can do to, get to, to earn it. It's unmerited. It's, it's just something that he gives us. So as we go on, it says, and then he talks about someone dying. And, and this, I, I really like the way Paul does this. He, he does it in a comparison. So he lets us know, because he's going to compare this and he's going to compare that. So you understand both. So when he drives his point home, you're going to understand. So he says here, he says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So without, without even knowing Christ 2,000 years ago, was going to die for a rascal like me. I wasn't even born yet. I wasn't going to be born for a couple thousand years. But the scripture says that he knew me before the foundation of the world, so he already. I wasn't worth it. If, I, if, if, if that was the case, <laughs> I wouldn't be standing here. No. His sacrifice was worth it. There's, there's nothing in, inside of me that would warrant God dying for me other than what he's all about. He, he died for all of us. Not that we deserved it, but he, he loved us. You know, remember the rich man? I, I looked it up in one of the Gospels, but I think it's in Luke. When the rich man came up to Jesus, when he you know, said, what do I must do? The scripture says that Jesus loved him. I never caught that. You know, it's, it's like you're running loose and you're, you don't know what end is up. You're out there, you're lost, you're doing just what they were doing in the first three chapters of Romans. And all of a sudden, God says, you know, if you knew how much I wanted to give you a new start on life. If you knew, you would just run for it. So as the story goes, since we have been justified by his blood, how much more 
shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word reconcile or reconciliation means, and I don't have time to go over the, some of the scriptures, so, but the, the word reconciliation means something's been broken apart, and God wants to put it back together. And he reconciles us. I want to put back this brokenness that happened with Adam. Because Jesus calls himself the second Adam. Because the first Adam fell, but the second Adam brought life. So what I want to give you is I want to give you what you couldn't get yourself. So the story goes on. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through that sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sin. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. You know, <clears throat> you know what, the, one of the, <laughs> this is just what I was picking up. You know one of the two things that Jesus has in common with Adam? Neither one of them had an earthly father. <laughs> and so when I was reading that, I said, you know what? That's why he's kind of a pattern after Adam, because they both had their father as their, as, as their father of the Lord. So, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass, now here again, he's doing a comparison. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to many. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So here we go again. Through one man, Everybody got the same disease. It was contagious to everyone. So everyone got it. But now, even though everyone got it, there's a way that we can be cleansed, that we can be freed from that, that sin. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification. That brings life for all men. For just as though the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You know, okay, I got a sign here. It says, do not murder, do not Still, I don't need faith for that. It's right in front of me. 
I might need obedience, but I don't need faith. I don't need faith for something I can see because the definition of faith is I'm certain that it's going to happen even though I can't see it. And in one of the verses, it's in the previous chapter, it says that God has the ability to call those things that were not as though they were. Do you know that? And in the context, he's talking about Abraham and Sarah. But did you know in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth out of what? Nothing. He was able to take something and make something. He can call things that aren't as though they are. He has that ability. He can call me <laughs> righteous. He can call me his own because he has the ability to do that. So I close with this. The underlying message in these two chapters is justification, that we are just, we are made righteous. There's no, there's no, after I get justified, I got to do all this. No, as soon as I'm justified, I'm made right with God. And I had some other scriptures. I, I don't have time to run over them. But you and I have a Savior who's doing everything that needs to be done so that we don't have to live in any type of condemnation. We are set free not only from the law, but we're set free from sin. And with that, Pastor Russell. Thank you very much, Marty. You're welcome. All right, so at this time, what I would like to do is uh, we'll read uh, the questions, and I'd like to close this in prayer, and then we'll get into our um, small groups. So the, the questions that we would like to uh, discuss today in our groups are um, for us to define justification. You know, what does that mean? And then, um, you know, the more that we understand something, the more we can explain it, right, in different words. So we'll give synonyms. And the second question is, uh, why can't the law save us? or justify us. And then the very uh, last one is, um, is faith in Christ enough to save us? So that's a, a kind of a yes or no question, but if it is, then why? If it isn't, then why not? So um, at this time, let me go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll get into our small groups. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this uh, teaching that we received tonight. Um, Lord, there's uh, just so much in this letter that Paul had written. And just the more that I, we spend time on it, it just seems so so rich and deep. And, um, and so, Lord, thank you for letting us explore. Uh, but, Lord, you, you did make things simple. And uh, we're going through a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot of verses here. But, but in the end, we're saying uh, we're, we can't do this on our own. And you know that. And so you provided a way. And so thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for coming to us, um, giving us the choice to love you back 
and this great sacrifice that you've done. And, and Lord, for those of us who, um, who are not Christians, Lord, and maybe uh, those online, uh, maybe there's some in the room, Lord, you would continue to knock on our hearts to, to surrender to you, that we would actually uh, make this step of faith uh, to choose to believe in you, to realize that there's nothing that we can do to earn your love. There's nothing that we can do to become right with you. You've done all the work, but we do have to surrender to you. We do have to accept what you've done. And for those of us who have been a Christian for some time, and, um, and Lord, there's, there's a foundation that we have. Lord, I pray that we would walk in, in more authority in that and, um, and really understanding greater the work that you've done and the, the possibility through us, um, Lord, to help other people understand who you are. So, Lord, I pray that you continue to equip us and guide us. And, and Lord, these, as, uh, as was already said, just these, these bedrock foundational principles, they would be solid. They would be things we would just stand firmly on um, and minister from those points. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing um, over our lives, over this evening, over our small group discussions, and as we travel home. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so at this time, we'll wrap up our online service, but um, for those who can stay.